A speech to the Sixth Congress of the International League of Catholic Women by Raphael Cardo Mary Develle in October of the Holy Year 1925. My dear ladies, Holy Year has brought you all to the Eternal City where you will be exchanging ideas with one another and sharing your knowledge that you have acquired by dint of your labors in the last period. You will be able to discuss the fruits of your research clarify what it is you are aiming for in the future, and coordinate as best as you can all the means you have at your disposal, which will make your work in common more effective and efficacious. Above all, you are well placed to revive your faith. Placed as you are so close to the blessed tombs of all the apostles and martyrs. Likewise, you can implore the Vicar of Christ for light and guidance in all your plans, submitting to him for his approval, all that you consider necessary and useful in the way of your apostolate. Welcome, dear ladies, to this homeland for the soul. Remember you are being protected by the great shepherd of souls, the Roman Pontiff. Remember that the loyalty you have to him and to your own immortal souls is not irreconcilable with the love you have for your own countries. On the contrary, here you will also feel closer to your heavenly home, to the promised land, which is the only worthwhile goal the only worthwhile aspiration of all souls. Both right reason and faith tell us that all our affection must be ordered to the highest of goals if those self-same affections are to retain their true nobility and their true efficacy. Your task is both delicate and grave. I know that the responsibilities which it entails are not lost on any of you. Modern society imposes a myriad number of competing demands on us many of them insinuating, transitory, and contradictory. It is very difficult to reconcile all these demands and to create a harmonious whole out of them, and it is particularly difficult to harmonize them with the immutable principles of the Catholic faith, since in many cases they are implicated in error. Still more, they are the expression of a perplexing quest for excitement, diversion, and light entertainment. There is an unapologetic quest for pleasure as an end in itself. There is resentment of the given duties of state and of the obligations which Christians have to honor. There are many who seem to be devoted to purely temporal desires. They long for earthly fulfillment, for material riches, and are so given over to these false friends that they forget that life is, by definition, a temporary affair. But how can they justify abandoning God, our sovereign good, true source of the only true happiness there is? And yet, deference of divine law is the sine qua non. We expect you to be receptive to evidence of human progress, but at the same time, we ask your discernment. You must never be as the blind leading the blind, accepting all that is new in a spirit of passivity, as if you were not expected to be vigilant about the proximate danger of error, vice, sin, and the like. Remember that what is often billed as reform and progress is no more than the pretext to introduce yet more retrograde, reprehensible, and delectorious signs of neo-paganism. You have no right to abandon the citadel of the enemy, as it were, to haggle and bargain over truth, to envelope it in a seductive veil of error. Still less are you entitled to extinguish the light shining out of the lighthouse of faith. I am sure it is very wearying to have to work against the rising tide of all those fashionable trends and opinions which so bewitch souls and so undermine the very basics of all Christian morality. 
I know only too well how difficult it is to dissect the propaganda of false, capricious doctrines which the masses fall for in utter abject gullibility. We know how the appeal demands on stimulating the senses, on exciting the appetites, on undermining the necessity of restraint, of self-control, of self-government. We have been made in God's image and given in nature and grace a certain capacity to protect ourselves from all the audacity of deregulated passions and vice. Shame and prudence can protect us from their aberrations, which is why you must highlight, before it is too late, the dangers posed by cooperating with these extraordinarily ferocious attacks. The seduction tactics are so insinuating now that virtually nothing is spared. Childhood innocence is at risk, so is the noble ideal of female education, so is the dignity of the woman, of the family, and of society. But resistance to evil and sin now is more important than ever before. The success of our antagonistic is, as ever, only of limited duration, which is why you can fight on embracing the ideal of heroism, a martyrdom, and self-sacrifice for this great cause of raising the standard of Christ amidst the ruins of Christian civilization. You have taken a particular theme this year, the dangers which threaten the family and, as a result, society as a whole. As the cardinal protector of this venerable league, I welcome the seriousness of your work, which is especially relevant to the challenge of today. For if you acquire a greater vigilance in the course of studying how the enemy works, your work will have served a great and noble purpose. After all, it historically falls to woman to defend and protect the family. This is her sublime calling. Indeed, it is her mission. If women fail in this her mission at home, society as a whole disintegrates. By undermining the unity, authority, and morality of family life, society inevitably loses its vitality in literally all its moral, physical, and spiritual sources. Even in terms of the natural law alone, the most intelligent man in the pagan era could see this was true. They had not the light of revealed truth to guide them, but they too condemned the excesses which destroyed the basic unit of society. Only later was Christianity able to dispel their errors, envelope in supernatural truth what they had attempted to establish in purely natural terms, the human facts about the human condition. I think one single example will illustrate this point well. Tacitus waxed lyrical about the domestic life of Agricola. What was it that so impressed him about Agricola's marriage? It was the fact that man and wife lived in harmony with one another, always seeking to find ways of making sacrifices for the beloved. Invencem se a te ponado, a marriage in which there is no subjection of wife to husband and of children to the parents is a marriage which leaves much to be desired for if there is no visible hierarchy in the family, how will the children know how to recognize the visible hierarchy of the church? If children are to be brought up to respect authority in the home, they will be able to discern the difference between duties, obligations, and rights, and keep all in a healthy balance. Invencem se a te ponado. When the concord between man and wife is animated by the divine breeze of supernatural grace and the law of charity, all tyranny and severity dissolves, all bitterness evaporates, all insubordination disappears. The spirit of revolt finds no home in such marriages. Rather, there is peace, the peace of Christ, and the reign of Christ. Pax Christi in Regno Christi. 
When our Lord Jesus Christ raised marriage to the dignity of a sacrament under the new covenant, he did nothing to change its natural character. The unity and dissolvability were written into marriage already at the level of nature. He made more luminous the necessity of faith to sustaining marriage and family life, which is why those who marry have to submit to the moral and natural law on the day they make their marriage vows, asking for the grace to perfect their union by grace, knowing exactly what their rights, duties, and responsibilities are before God, each other, and in society. The Apostle Paul is the mouthpiece when he reminds the married in his characteristically energetic way of the duties of spouses, parents, children, and servants. In no uncertain terms, he insists that these duties are nothing without a grasp of the fact that all authority is, in point of fact, divine in origin. He teaches us that we are duty-bound to submit to the objective moral and natural law giving to watch what is his due in the spirit of charity and love of one's neighbor, which offers us the best and most efficacious way of practicing all the virtues. The family breaks down if there is no single point of reference in God anymore. That rejection paves the way for competition, for a plurality of points of view about what duties and responsibilities actually are. It destroys the hierarchical structure of the family life. Without the authority which God alone gives us to live, we then see this breakdown writ large in society as a whole. There is anarchy, which in the manner of a sheet of lightning strikes and destroys without any warning, inflicting untold damage. Without the authority from God at work in the family life, children are at sea. Instead of controlling their passions, there is unbridled license. Once this disease sets in, the prospects for educating disciplined and restrained citizens are weakened immeasurably. Your task, dear ladies, is so great that it is impossible to imagine it will ever end. There is no such thing as instant relief to problems such as these. The remedies will require patience and self-sacrifice in inverse proportion to the speed with which the antagonist is able to destroy what you wish to construct and reconstruct. You will have to console yourself with the thought that you are planting seeds which will only bear fruit at some unspecified moment in the future. Others may indeed be the lucky beneficiaries of your labors, but you will be able to take some credit for having saved the truth and the means of salvation. God will reward you throughout eternity with the crown of glory. But even in this world, you may live to see and hear those who are perspicacious enough to know to give credit where credit is due. They will acknowledge your labors Guided by the immortal teachings of the one true church, you will be sending out a courageous signal to those who have suffered anguish in the face of all those outrageous attacks on sacred life. Where others have failed, you will flourish by showing them the right royal road to happiness in this life and in the next. I implore the blessing of the Blessed Virgin Mary upon all your works and labors. She, the Mother of God, the Mediatrix of all graces, and the co-redemptrix. I beg of her to intercede with God the Father that our efforts bear fruit and rejoice in being able to cooperate in some small way, devoted as I am to the results which I know you wish to bring forth.